This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, welcome to this week's Liverpool.com podcast. It's Dan Morgan, it's Ollie Connolly and it's Mark Wakefield. Uh, Gents, hope you're both well. We are recording this the the day after Liverpool's victory in the Champions League against Leipzig uh, last 16. Uh, uh, a nice relief uh, for us all, I think, as Liverpool supporters, given the last few months. And it's a game in, in many senses, Mark, that, that Liverpool spring a few surprises. Uh, it's it's the sense that many have been calling for, for being on midfield and, and have been advocating for being on midfield. But to do it in this game, it felt like a it felt like a bit of a risk from Jürgen Klopp, a bit of a gamble. And you can argue he's a manager now with, in many senses, nothing to lose. Um, but the context of the game meant, in every sense, going into that second leg, he, he sort of had everything to lose in many senses, you know, and, and to to spring a, a centre-back pairing of Nat Phillips and Ozan Kabak in that game is interesting. But also to do it and have the results he gets and to get the benefits he gets and to look at the positives of the shape, for example. I think it, I think it's a, a a real sort of statement from Jürgen Klopp that he might just be weathered for this from here until the rest of the season. I just, I guess, I want to start talking about centre back in in that sense. And yeah, do you think this will be a case of Kabak and Phillips from now until it goes completely wrong, or is is there something else at play here that the manager's just managing game to game? I say it's an interesting one. I mean, I think, you know, me personally, like you mentioned, there are people calling for Fabinho to come back into midfield. I was one of them, but I didn't expect to see it in this game. You know, like you say, it was a gamble. You know, the season was pretty much on the line with this game. You know, if they went out of the Champions League, that's basically it for the season. Pretty much not much else left to play for. But, you know, it was a gamble that paid off, you know, and you could see straight away why Fabinho is the best number six DM in arguably in the world. Um, certainly the Premier League, but probably in the world as well. Um, yeah, it's just it's an interesting one, like you say, Kabak and Phillips. You know, they weren't perfect against Leipzig, but you know, like I think we said uh, in our Facebook live after the game, you know, they they worked the game out the longer the game went on. You know, they had a couple of shaky moments certainly at the start, but the longer it went on, you could see they grew into the game more. Obviously, they weren't without their faults, but you know, this Leipzig side, you know, they scored at least two goals a game the last half dozen games, whatever it is, since the last since they played the first leg. You know, they're no mugs here, you know, they really are. A, very strong side, certainly going forward. And, you know, domestically in the league, you know, we'll have to wait and see whether Klopp decides to go with that plan uh, going forward. You know, we saw against Fulham um, last week, you know, when Fabinho came on the pitch for the last 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever it was, he was in midfield. Um, me personally, I'd love to see, you know, two, uh, anytime you see two centre-backs playing at centre-backs, now the bonus at the minute, you know, given the season we've had, um, whether it's going to be Kabak and Phillips for the long run, we don't know. Obviously, we've still got Ben Davis. That's got to be factored into the equation at some point. You know, what are they going to do with him? You know, he's not been given a go at the minute. You know, he's only been in the matchday squad for two league games this season. Obviously, he's had an injury at some, uh, as well. But, you know, it'll be interesting to see when he gets factored into the equation, if at all. But, um, yeah, for me, fitness providing, I think Fabinho has to be in that midfield role now. I think it just the team works so well um, front to back with him in that role. You know, is so vital to it, and the longer he stays in that position, I just think you know that it provides hope for the season. We don't obviously don't expect him to win the competition, the Champions League at, at all, but if he can go deep, obviously the financial impact and the confidence levels that will bring for hopefully into the league form and 
for next season should be massive. I mean, what are the, the logistical choices heading into to next season, Ollie? I mean, it's it's interesting to ponder that against Leipzig, there's possibly three players on the pitch who were on that given occasion, first, second and third choice centre-backs, but every one of them might not be considered viable options next season. If we look at Fabinho as a midfielder now, and as Mark says, we, we sort of give him that priority as a six. It's... It's interesting when you look at then the, the the rung of the ladder, if you like, as to to who prioritises what, especially when you've got players coming back from injury and we're not sure how they will. Yeah, it's a tough one. Last night was so positive. Fabinho was so good. And he has been unbelievable as a centre-back. You almost want a pencil in now as the, the fourth option. But, but you need him long-term to just be a wild card as a break glass in case of emergency. If this happened again, that he's the fifth one up, not the fourth one up. And it's tough. I thought Kabag was, was quite bad last night. I think positionally he's a bit of a mess. Um, you see him get turned around three or four different times. And he's one of those players where he's kind of juicing his numbers quite a bit. And then when you watch it, you see the decision-making is just not there. He has a lot of moments where he just freezes. And he's paired with a guy, Nat Phillips, who's kind of a bit reckless and will just jump out. And so, so that's a bit of a mess. And I think even for the, the rest of the season, you can't have this kind of situation where you're chopping and changing and Fabinho's at the back one week as you're worried of their of the team's attacking prowess and the next week you think they start their play midfield so you push him back up there. That's not going to help Phillips or Kabak. They need to kind of be settled, figure out each other's idiosyncrasies. You know, maybe you go, I stay. Maybe they can figure that partnership out together for the final eight, nine, ten games of the season. Um, like you said, heading into next season, they need two. They need two. They need one who is genuinely, if not world-class, you think maybe gets that level at some point. You have no idea what Joe Gomez is coming back. Two devastating injuries at his age when so much of his game is built around recovery. You've got Virgil van Dijk coming back from a devastating knee injury, and you would imagine he's going to be at least 80-85% of the play he was, and, and that is more than good enough to, to put you back into league title contention. But again, he's getting closer to 30. You have no idea what that's going to do for next season. And what that does in, just in terms of shortening his career. Maybe he's fine for the next two years, but you no longer get the four or five years you thought maybe you would get of aging gracefully. So you need two, and I just don't think at this level uh, Kabak can be one of those options. So that gives you probably 20 million to play with based on what they agreed to on the Kabak deal, plus whatever the owners put in their pockets, whether it's another 20, 40 million. So you really probably only have 60 million to try and find two players, which is, that's not a lot of money even in a in a COVID hit market, you know, to find two guys you feel confident in as Premier League stars at 60 million isn't a ton. I'll, I'll just play devil's advocate a little bit. I mean, I've been far from certain on Ozan Kabak. I actually think he, he does okay last night. I think he has one of his better games. I think there's I think there's a couple of examples where he, he actually covers Phillips quite well. And it's it is slightly encouraging that I mean just for example he ends up a few times last night in the right-back area. And he does that because I think he anticipates a bit of Phillips' own sort of inexperience at this level and, and a little bit of recklessness on his part. That Phillips can rightly be lauded today because he's done an amazing job for Liverpool in the past few months. But when that Phillips does something that's quite last-ditch, it doesn't look as great as some someone just being on the cover for him. Um, and, and sweeping up and and you know how many times have we seen Virgil van Dijk in a right back position for example over his Liverpool career never but I think there's enough in Kabach last night to to quietly put little bits of fires out over the pitch and, and, and bits in which 
I think you can actually look at him and say, okay, I actually took a few positives from it, even though I agree with you. I don't, I'm not certain at all he'll be a Liverpool player next season. One player that I think was a bit of a mess last night, to be honest with you, Mark, was Deo Meccano. And I think there's a few times where Liverpool should have punished him personally more. I think there's a lot of Upamecano, what he does, um, that is is positive and you can see why he's, he's so well-rated and you can see why Bayern Munich have basically said to Leipzig, well, we're just going to take your flat-track bully from you um, and we're going to sort of make us even better in the process. But there is a bit of a trick of the mind here, isn't it, that when we're Liverpool fans, you know, screaming from the rooftops for, for Upamecano, you, you do have to sort of figure out what type of player you want based on your own strengths because when you look at him last night, like I said, th- there's ways in which Liverpool absolutely pulled into bits and if he came to the Premier League, it wouldn't surprise me whether that happens again. You know, he's, got, he's still got a long way to go for a player many were almost desperate for not even a few months back. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the hottest prospects as a centre-back probably across Europe, you know, pretty much every big name across Europe was linked with him, including Liverpool and Chelsea, I think, were as well. Um, and you, like you say, you can see why there's obviously some moments there, you know, it reminds me, not on, this is probably a bit extreme, but there's a little bit of Van Dijk to him, you know, he can play balls out from the back, you know, he's got the pace to you know to recover well, but like you say, Liverpool turned around a number of times and got him caught out, you know, that might be, to be fair to him, that might be the way Leipzig play, you know, Nagelsmann likes to play out from the back a bit more, take a few risks, certainly um, in their own box, which, you know, doesn't help things, but you know, like you say, there's in terms of looking for players like they want, want maybe want to bring in the summer. I agree with Ollie, like they need to look at possibly two in the summer because you know the three centre backs that they've got at the moment, um, Ben Davis, Ozan Kabak, and Nat Phillips. Chances are neither of those three will be at the club at the start of next season because of you know Phillips out of contract, Kabak they might not bring in, and Davis. You know we don't know what the season uh, situation is going to be with it, with him. So like you say, the Gomez, you don't know what play you're going to get. Obviously he's had. Very, very unfortunate with injuries um, in his career already in relatively young career. So we don't know how he's going to come back from that. Van Dijk, yeah, definitely ageing, but, you know, we expect him to grow gracefully. But like I say, his act injury knocked a couple of years off of him at the top level. So these are all things that they don't know at this moment in time. So they've got to take a gamble of, do we go with bringing in two players? Because like you say, it's not going to be very cheap to do that. And, you know, they don't want to get into a situation again where they've got to be put Fabinho back there again because you know, they've seen this season that last is not feasible in the long term. The odd game when in a break last situation, like you say, fair enough, but for the rest of the season, now if they want to challenge for a title and the Champions League, you know, which they will want to do next season, you know, that's just not feasible in the long term. That Meccano um, oh, situation is, is, I think, quite telling on Kabak. Um, and again, I don't want to be negative, but that the Bundesliga's had a look at him now for two straight years as a key figure for a team that has been like historically awful. They did not win a game for 18 months straight, and he was a key player. You had Bayern staring at him, you had Leipzig staring at him. He it, he fits at 20 years old, the perfect profile of Leipzig. Go get him, and in, in three years' time, they sell him to Chelsea for 50 million quid. He fits it perfectly. They knew McConnor was leaving at the end of the season, they could have gone and got him on January 1st, paying in cash rather than some kind of loan for option deal. Same with Bayern, they could have said, Okay, we can get this lad for 20 million quid, or we can go and get up McConnor for what is it wound up being? I think it's 55 million euros. And they decided, no, we're both fine. And instead, he'll go to Liverpool and be the fourth-choice centre-back from next season onwards. I, I do think that those two teams really close over quite telling on, on what his level is. Yeah, I agree totally. I mean, one thing I do want to ponder, Ollie, in terms of just the rest of this season, 
I would actually, if you offer if you offer me sort of a choice in what to do now, I'm fine with playing Fabinho in the six for the rest of the season for how long he's fit. But I would actually, when Henderson's back, be putting him in at centre half, and I'd be keeping Fabinho at six. I'd, I'd basically make a decision that Henderson is now your fourth choice centre back from here on in until the rest of the season. And I say that because I think, I think if you decide you've got Fabinho in the six, I think if you then decide you've got Henderson as an eight, Wijnaldum, Milner, Thiago, Jones, so on and so forth, Keita, Chamberlain. I think there's a way in which you end up spoiled with options in midfield and your compromise around centre-half is one that really doesn't necessarily need to be made. And I get that there, there could be a general conversation now that's been going on with the fans within Kirby of, yeah, OK, we need to play the best number six in the world at number six, that's fine. But for the rest of the season, when he's fit and when he's back in, we drop Henderson in and we probably put him next to Kabach and just say to Kabach, you do seven out of ten things next to this fella for the rest of the season and we'll work around that as best we can. Yeah, I think that there's certainly an argument for that. That is probably the, the way I think they'll wind up going when, when it gets to that crunch. We've spoken about it for a while, though. I, I still think that you should just have your best players in your best positions and try to figure the best out. I get what you're saying. If that kind of increases your margin for error, you kind of spread the, the goodness across a number of positions rather than being like, we're really weak at the bat, but we're happy with our midfield setup when, and we're going to have to leave three really good ones on the bench. I fully understand um, that argument. I, it's hard for me to listen to Jurgen Klopp say this guy's the best defensive midfield in the world and then say I'm just going to stick him at centre-back in, in five, six weeks' time. And I think when you see the impact that has on Thiago more than anything, the numbers coming out of how much Thiago's had to run in this Liverpool team compared to when he was in the Bundesliga are quite damning. Given that he's playing in a three, by the way, and often it takes on the shape of a five in that kind of midfield strata, he's running double the amount that he did in the Bundesliga. Now, part of that is just the league, it's the game state, it's the Liverpool's different style. But clearly they brought him in. They didn't bring him in and say, now try and become Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. They wanted to evolve to him. That was the idea. And he was a completely different player last night when it was kind of, you do there, you do Thiago things, let us worry about everything else. Yeah. And I think if it if it's a case of saying our best meal, midfield setup is these three, probably Henderson, Fabinho, and Thiago, then I am much more comfortable saying, let's build the best block moving forward that we can do. Let's get off our best three on the pitch up front, whether we think that's Firmino or Jota is now an open question. Let's build the best midfield three possible. We've got our two fullbacks, we've got our keeper, and we'll have to figure out the centre-back spot as we go. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Ollie, you're writing a piece today on the website uh, about captaincy, mm-hmm. which we talked about this morning, which... Yeah, it made me sit up a little bit, I think. Um, the fact that Wijnaldum was captain against Leipzig won't have raised many eyebrows. I mean, should it have? I'm not sure. It made me feel really old. I was like, wow, I know that if I had picked the phone up to my dad last night, 10 years ago, he'd be like, I can't believe it. The amount of disloyalty, he's not signed a contract, he's leaving <laughs> three months ago. Dare he be given the armband? What about Mo? And I think there's a real question on the Mo thing, because he publicly said he was upset about it last time, that he didn't get it ahead of Trent Alexander-Arnold. Now, maybe he's more forgiving because it's Wijnaldum. Maybe it was a thank you for your service. Maybe it was a case, as I've written in the piece, of just saying, hey, look, you're still really important to us. We know you're probably leaving, but you're really valuable, and we need you the rest of the way this is how much we respect you how much we thank you for what you've done please just keep giving us everything that you've given us this season so far until right the way through the run through 
Um, so there's a case we made to that. But if I'm Trent and I'm looking, saying, how come I got it against Mitch Lamb, but I didn't get it last night? Or um, particularly Salah saying, hang on a second. I'm, I'm the most important player at this football club. And I keep getting overlooked for this thing. So I'm behind Trent. Okay, he's a local boy. I kind of get it. And now I'm behind the lad who's leaving in three months. I, I would find that a bit of a strange one. And he said so publicly before. Does, does captaincy matter anymore, Mark? In, in this, in beyond the obvious, you know, there's a there's a, an obvious need for Liverpool to have a figurehead like Jordan Henderson for everything he does, both on and off the pitch, uh, and all of the stuff that is often not referenced in terms of just sometimes taking players' media duties if they don't feel up to it and stuff like that. You need that bridge between players and, and coaches, and and you need that that captaincy figure who's trusted and and. I get that in the sense of the sort of one club captain. I understand that and I get why it's still a bit relevant a la sort of Sunes Keane. But in the same mould of the Sunes Keane, you know, roll roll your shorts up and, and get on with it type of mentality that they they constantly exhaustingly churn out on Sky every week. Is the concept of a captain something that we maybe sort of we maybe have sort of gone past in, in football in, in in many senses when you're getting towards sort of third and fourth choices. I say it's an interesting one because, like I say, I mean, when, like you say, when Ron Alden came up the armband last night, we just assumed that it's the fourth choice. You no, know, Milner wasn't there, Henderson not there, Van Dijk's not there, so he's next in line. But like you say, you no, know, he's leaving in three months. Is that a wise thing to do? But you no. Know, Klopp just sticks with his guns. Now he gave it Trent because he'd been at the club the longest when he didn't. No one else was available against Mitchellan. But yeah, in terms of the idea of the captaincy, though, know, I mean, if we go back to last night, you know, Wijnaldum might have been wearing the armband, but I thought Thiago was arguably the most vocal player, certainly on the pitch, definitely in midfield. You know, you could see him pointing, telling him where his teammates to pass the ball, where to move. There were certainly plenty of times where Kabak or Phillips was out of position at the back, and he catched it out the corner of his eye and said, "No, get back." You know, do get back into the position, don't get caught out. And that's what a captain does. And I think, you know, in terms of this Liverpool team, obviously can't, can't speak too much for the other teams, but you know, this Liverpool team just have so many leaders across the pitch, you know, when they're full strength. You know, you've got Henderson there, Van Dijk, you know, and then the front three, you know, Salah's captain is Egypt, Mane's captain, um, Senegal, you know. You know, there's so many leaders across the pitch that, you know, yeah, Henderson's the figurehead, Henderson's the main guy, but they've got so many leaders across the pitch uh, across the squad really uh, that from a local point of view it doesn't really matter too much in that respect but you know it's just so difficult to like i say it's just so difficult to try and work out why you know a player who let's say he's leaving in three months and he gets the armband against someone like you say Mo Salah for example you know he why he's got not got the armband maybe you know but, but like i say it's just uh, this Liverpool team is so different to say other so many other teams you know Teams across the league, they've got rely on the one man captain. But this Liverpool team have been built to make sure that they, if one man doesn't goes down, that they don't fall to bits. Pretty much in that respect, and you know that four man captain club, whatever you want to call it, you know, main reason for that. I, I don't think that vocal side of it matters. I think that's what you're getting at there, Dan. It's like, yeah, it's almost quite patronising to to think that like Mohamed Salah, who is who like has the weight of a country on his back, has to be told like what to do by. You know, someone else. I, I, I don't think that kind of like leader of men warrior mentality that you're talking about really exists anymore. I don't think that they're they're that fussed. And I'm not that bothered about Junior Wijnaldum getting it. I don't think it's a disloyal thing. He's been an unbelievable servant for the club. He's been a massive part of the club era. If it's just like so, he can frame it when he leaves the club. I'm cool with that. 
I find it interesting that Mohamed Salah vocally said he was a little put out by it and that then it happened to him again with someone else. That is my only concern. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Steven Gerrard was never a vocal captain. Steven Gerrard led by example in terms of what he did on a football pitch. There, there are different ways. I wonder with the, the Wijnaldum thing, I mean, I don't think there's much to it at all, really. And that's where I ponder whether it's really even a, a big discussion at all to them. Um, in terms of the coaching staff, when it gets down to sort of fourth and fifth choices, although it might be a big a big issue to the likes of Trent and Salah, but I think the Wijnaldum thing, as much as anything, will be a case of a reminder that despite the fact that he might be leaving in three months, he, as well as all of them, still have a job to do whenever they step on the pitch of the Pro Football Club and they still have a huge responsibility. And yeah, leaders take on different forms, we know that. You know, it's... It's like I say, I don't think it, I don't think it is the the concept of a this guy is you know the most vocal in the team or he's the most sort of Jamie Carragher esque figure we can think of. So therefore, he is a natural choice for. It. I think you're right, Mark. That Liverpool have a lot of leaders in different ways, um, and 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 I would say ambassadors of of themselves and and their countries and and their identities in different ways. And I think that in itself creates a team of of leaders essentially who've, who've gone on to achieve what they have let's just have a little a little mess around now between the three of us who's the most left field captain you can think of because I've got my answer and I think I'd, I'd love to see it just for the Twitter meltdown oh no who's that gone Adrian <laughs> guys you're for the, the, the vocalness give it to Adrian for the, for the honestly he would be Paul Ince Roy Keane <laughs> Graeme Souness absolute Terry Butcher rolled into one I was going through these before because I, I even Wijnaldum in terms of like longevity and servitude and whatever you want to put it down. I'm not even sure he springs to mind as the first one when you've got Robertson in the team again. Salah, no, like, has he given so much more to the club era than Mohamed Salah and Andy Robertson have? I, it, the, those two are in the team. And it went in, and then there's the trend thing where you can always just play the academy game and then move on with your afternoon. That, that that's the part that, that jumped out. Yeah, it is a strange one. It is a strange one. I'll also throw Divock in there, but go ahead, who you having? <laughs> Left field. I think Mane. Mane. Let's, they should have given it to him and said, "All right, are you, are you, are you having this then for the final twelve games of the year? What's going on?" I like it. I'm into it. Mark, are you having? Uh, I was thinking. Not so much left field, it's not as like quite striking as your two guys draws. I wouldn't mind giving it to Allison. Maybe the old game, you know, he's quite shown that he's like very well liked among the squad. He's got he's a leader, you know, he's quite vocal, not so vocal in terms of speaking to his defender, but he lead like you say, he leads by example. So not quite as striking as your Adrian shout, but well, think yeah, about it. Just think make an Adrian captain would basically be the equivalent of getting Duncan Ferguson in at Liverpool. <laughs> imagine the seriousness he'd take. Imagine how sort of Animated, he'd be on the touchline. I reckon he'd go and stand behind Allison in goal. I reckon he'd be like in front of the cop orchestrating when it's back full. Oh, I just think it'd be great. I'm bang into it. I think it'd be absolutely mental. Um, but yeah, there's a bit of fun done. Um, all right, let's let's pose another question then, Ollie, on the Salah thing that we touched on. Is Mo Salah really underappreciated by Liverpool? 
No, I don't think so. I, I still think it's one of those fake controversies. I, there's an element of me where I'm starting to get worried with the captaincy thing when I see his interviews and it's like, oh, I was really hurt by not being captain. Like, it's so easy to just say on Wednesday night, here's, here's the armband, though. Now, whether that's caving to you know public comments or not, I understand. But I'm like, what can we do at this point to make sure that he doesn't leave for Real Madrid and say, you know what, bleep it. I want to go make 500 grand a week in Paris or in Madrid. And I'm like, let's name him a stand. Let's pre-build him a statue if it, you know if we can't give him the armband can we do something for the man just so this nonsense storyline he is beloved he just isn't at the same level as fowler possibly kenny kenny had the the management thing he had all he's done for the club off the pitch as well he isn't at that level yet because the team he's in is amazing the teams he that those players played in were largely dreadful or they didn't win stuff and so just having that person became our cup it's like well we've got torres we've got fowler and he doesn't play in that kind of team he there's Tons of world-class players all around him who are, who are equally as important as his goals. So I do think he's he's perfectly appreciated. Now, if he feels slightly unappreciated, we must all do something to make sure he knows how appreciated we are. And I think we should rename a stand after him. I'm not sure. Yeah. And this is from a man who's just just right now plumped for Adrian as captain of Liverpool. But mm-hmm. I, I don't know whether there's a there's a certain element that we, we know Salah's agents uh is a little bit devious at times and we know he can be a little bit um, sinister in some of his his actions towards manoeuvring things a certain way towards Salah and I wonder whether the captaincy thing there was maybe a little bit of a prompt because I don't don't buy that he's really bothered about it I I genuinely don't buy it I don't buy that it it bugs him that much that he's he's not fourth choice captain of Liverpool I, I'm not sure, and I wonder whether, again, there's things going on there that we don't know. But, I mean, Mark, where are you at? Do you think he's in any way underappreciated by Liverpool? Um, I can't speak for the club or the rest of the fan base. From my, a personal point of view, I'd cer- certainly not. You know, he's either one of the best forwards, best players that I've seen, certainly in my lifetime, and probably he'll go down history as one of the best at the club. I mean, like, it's, like Ollie said, he's absolutely right. You know, the likes of Torres, Bowler, Owen, players like that, um, Gerard as well, you know, to some extent with them, those guys, you know, they played in relatively poor teams, whereas Mo is just alongside fellow world-class players. You know, he's got a front three there that for large parts have basically just set the world wide. The midfield is world-class, got a couple of the best defenders, best goalkeepers. So, yeah, it's just, like I say, where this narrative of being, him being underappreciated by fans, by the club, where it comes from, I'm not, not too sure bro, at all. But, yeah, from from a personal point of view, I would say, there's absolutely no way of wanting wanting to go anywhere. You know, I won't go as far as say his name and stand after him. I think it's probably a bit much of a stretch at this stage. I think he probably has to win a few more league titles, maybe a Champions League, for it, for it to get to that point. But um, yeah, certainly from I can only speak from my personal point of view about him being underappreciated. Absolutely not. You know, yeah, world class player, one of the best around, one of the best that Liverpool have had certainly for a generation. You know, from hopefully he stays for a much longer. And there's an element here where he's more underappreciated nationally and internationally, I think, where he thinks he should be in the discussion and then part of it is pinned on on Liverpool and their fan base because Van Dijk gets an awful lot of the credit as the reason Liverpool are this were this winning machine when they won the league title, they won the European Cup. Gerard was in the Ballon d'Or discussion. Michael Owen won a Ballon d'Or before it was the, the the new kind of Ballon d'Or, and yet Salah does not get into that discussion whilst being a part of this Liverpool thing. So I think it's almost more of a national, international perception. He he's consistently winning Golden Boots at a clip that even those players that we've lift, referenced there did not did not win. You know, he's winning up Alan Shearer numbers at a time when 
uh, for a club where we've never had someone like that since since really the glory days Ian Rush. <laughs> That's the last time someone was scoring at this kind of of pace over three, four, five seasons. So I think it's more of a wider perception that then gets pegged onto the Liverpool fan base. I wondered from the Liverpool thing, no, I wonder whether it's because we're not used to it. We did, we had a chat the other day on, on one of our calls about numbers and the relevance of numbers to Liverpool. We always associate goal scorers as being number nines or number sevens. We don't associate them with being number 11s. Mo Salah will go down as Liverpool's greatest ever number 11, I think. And I wonder whether he, in some ways, I wonder whether his best legacy will be, in some ways, making that number special to Liverpool. Because I think you're right, Ollie. I think I think if he came in as a centre forward and wore number nine or number seven, Alar Suarez, then I think I think in sort of Liverpool tradition he would be much more revered. I think he'd be much more mysticised. As a as a Liverpool player who's followed on from the likes of Daglish, Rush, etc. But in many ways, he's such his own person. He's such his own player. He's such this absolute hybrid of a footballer that nobody could even contemplate. It's almost like he's this good. He has to tail off at some point. He can't he can't maintain this this level of incredible output from wearing number eleven and playing on the right. Like it it doesn't compute as being normal. I th- and I think. I think that's where it gets confused. I don't think he's underappreciated anyway. I think it's more the fact that we all, we're only used to seeing this from centre forwards or people who wear certain numbers, and and it doesn't follow the norms that we've we've had over the jet over the decades. The the only thing I would say is that even when we're planning stuff and we're writing stuff, there's kind of like the the different eras of once Allison and Van Dyke arrived, that's like box office of its own individual thing. And then even in Jurgen Klopp's own comments, he calls Firmino the system. There just hasn't been that kind of like it, he's just been droningly amazing the entire time, and it's never kind of like peaked or, or dipped in a sense where he's had kind of his most Salah moment. I mean, the goal at United and, and those kind of photos and what that looks like and how the crowd went, I think will always be his crowning like King moment. Um, but he hasn't really had, I would say what would be defined as his own little mini era within the team. Cause he's been there the whole time. And he was there when the centre-back partnership was terrible. Then by Dyke Allison arrived and suddenly they're winning everything. And so I think that might be where some of the discrepancy and kind of what the output versus what maybe the, I don't think it's a love thing either. Carragher always bongs on about whether he's beloved or not. I don't think it's that. I think it is a level of appreciation that we don't quite understand how difficult it is to score that many goals that consistently. Even Ronaldo didn't do that in the Premier League. Rooney didn't do that in the Premier League. These world-class players it's only Shearer who had scored at this level for that kind of length of time and he could keep doing it for three four more years I mean go on then Mark if, if we're not naming a stand after him what are, what are we doing should we what should we do um I don't know retire the number 11 is that too far is that too far to don't retire the number 11 shirt I, I'm gonna I'm gonna suggest something now if home baked are listening make a salad pie you might already <laughs> do I don't know but that to me is the greatest homage you can have there's a Rafa there, there's a Shankly, there's a Klopp. You'd be the first player to get one, I think. So um, that's that's my suggestion. But uh, from us, we're going to just leave it there for this week. Uh, it's been a it's been a short and sharp one, but it's Saturday, it's the weekend. So, um, you know, we, we, we might have not to take up too much of your time, but be sure to head over to Liverpool.com because we've got tons of content there, which is great. And uh, the site's there for all of you to browse around. So 
yeah, have a good weekend, everyone. And uh, we'll speak to you soon and see you next week. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.